0: Hello and welcome to Into the Void with Will Adolphy. This is episode three and today I chatted with Elf Lyons. Elf is an award-winning comedian, writer and theatre practitioner and in the last few years Elf has gained a cult reputation as one of the most innovative performers on the UK comedy circuit. I seriously recommend checking out her website and if you can make it to one of her gigs you will have one of the best nights in a while. We touch creativity and failing, gender in comedy, her writing process, and loads more interesting stuff. Honestly, she's an absolute joy, a real force of nature, and one of my favourite people in the world. So without further ado, Elf Lyons. I can't tell you how excited I was to get you on, so thank you so much for, uh, for coming on down. And
1: No, thanks for asking me. Oh, no worries,
0: yeah. Uh, how are you?
1: I'm good. I mean, I this morning my partner and I ended up watching the cursed films documentaries on Shudder. Yeah. And we've just watched the one about the Twilight Zone. So it's probably very and a very intense emotional, f- um, emotional zone I'm in, <laughs> and then going straight into this. Um, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know, don't really ever watch telly first thing in the morning, but mm. the last few days have been an absolute head, head fuck. Am I allowed to say head fuck? Am I allowed you to can swear?
0: swear as much as you like
1: they've been a bit of a head fuck so this morning i thought i just really want to eat marmalade and watch a documentary on horror films Mm. but it ended up being significantly more intense and sad (laughs) than i realized
0: (laughs) right okay so on a scale of one to ten ten being i've just broken up and i'm incredibly sad and one being i'm super chilled where where are you on that scale
1: I mean i'm a, I'm probably about an eight
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant okay, great well i I'm, I'm a, you know if it veers off into a, into a sad and we
1: both end up crying that that's absolutely fine I, I, you know, everybody no restric- loves trauma for a podcast. <laughs> everybody likes uh, emotional vulnerabilities
0: It's true, right? very true well to for you saying that, I think that's a perfect segue into perhaps talking about the L word, lockdown, Um, I'd love to just hear about how you managed to keep sane or went insane or any of that sort of stuff. What was it like for you?
1: Lockdown has been a... Well, I mean... It's funny because you would suggest like, how was your weekend? And it's quite a short period of time. Lockdown's now pretty much amassed to half a year. <laughs> so when people yeah. are basically asking, how's the last half a year been? <laughs> it's been everything <laughs> yeah. in a few, it, it's been everything in a very, a sort of surreal amount of time. It feels very much like a dreamscape because every day sort of feels the same, but it doesn't. You're so much more in tune with your emotions because, you feel more bored so when you're bored you're more reflective on every little small minutia of feeling it's I've, I've read loads i've read loads tried to be productive i've had loads of creative projects i've had ideas for which i've been writing down and sort of occasionally trying to develop here there i've also been doing so much like tutoring and like one on one sessions with people, I've sort of my mind has absolutely blurred with how many people I've sort of chatted to about creative projects, etc. Mm. It's been a creative avalanche <laughs> the last few months, and obviously I've taught a few sessions for you guys at yes. Flugs. Yes,
0: yes, I just yeah, just to say as well, I've honestly never had much like as much fun as that in a class. It was just brilliant. Um, and at the same time learning a fuckload so yeah just a a massive thanks for that and if anyone is listening um just yeah i would encourage everyone to check you out because it is just so fun
1: well that's really nice i think it's really important i try and sort of i think it's very important to share as many ideas as you possibly can and just i don't feel precious about all the methods i use to make shows and stimulate creativity i think it's really important to share because it's only through sort of sharing and mm. throwing these things out there that you get better and better and better and more resilient to taking risks and also failure as well being safe to fail oh yeah uh,
0: that's a big one yeah i'd love to talk about that with you because one of the things that strikes me whenever i see you perform or see you teach you just have this ruthlessness to you and um, where you're not afraid to fail like you've you just said it there. Um, where do you think this has come from? Is that something that you've always had since you were, I believe it was 15, when you first started to dabble with the comedy? And Maybe I've got that wrong. I saw it in one of your videos. I mean,
1: I've always wanted to be... Do, I mean, my the age of when I started comedy sort of changes every time because you sort of forget every time you retell it or re, re-remember it. Um, right. I think... A love of failure is because you don't really have a choice with failure because we will all fail in some way, don't we? So how do you choose to react to that failure? And we have put so many negative emotions on that word to fail because we really associate it with a life or death choice like at Apollo 13, a failure is not an option when the reality is most failures that we consider nowadays aren't life or death. They're just a difference between, our, you know, it's just about how much our ego and our pride is bruised, really. We just need to reinterpret what that actually means. Because every time you do a show, you're not on a well-oiled machine. Some days you're gonna be good, some days you're gonna be bad. So you have to accept that's part of the process. And we're in an industry where we are putting our egos and our pride sort of up for hammering every single day. So in order to be mentally resilient, you have to just accept that you've got to make failure a friend of yours.
0: Mm. You, can, you can use that in life, I guess, as well, right? With anything, really. I, I, I mean, often our expectations rarely meet reality. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying there is just really important because when we get that feeling of I'm a failure, <coughs> excuse me, we tend to think that is a reason to stop what we're
1: doing. Yeah. But and we gone. Oh yeah, no! Sorry, I totally interrupted you. Please, I go was for just it. A, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a really harmful, harmful way of thinking, and I think it's sort of been introduced when we're a child of this this shame we feel when we're doing something wrong, or often when we're playing or being silly. And especially education nowadays, it's all about jumping through hoops and hitting targets. So we, and we get this idea of stick to your strengths, play to your strengths. This idea that even if you enjoy something, if you're not good at it, what's the point of persevering? Mm. Because we, we create a society where we want everybody to be winners, and obviously mm. you can't be. So yeah, in, in theatre as well, because it also tends to attract people who like attention and like being praised.
0: Well, part of one of the performance aspects, I know you're you're a writer, you're a theatre maker, but you're also a, a comedian. And to be a comedian, my understanding, as someone who isn't a comedian, so please do educate me, and um, if you will, but I, you must have been through a, an arduous process to get to where you are now, and lots of grinding, lots of failing.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, just lots of, you know, trying to... Stick to your guns and do something that makes you happy and shows who you are without selling out, but at the same time doing something that attracts people to come and see you. Uh, So that's the hard balance, isn't it? Trying to be relatable, but also is that weird, um, it's like you're climbing up two sides of the mountain at the same time, trying to be unique. What's your unique selling point? But be relatable and talk about issues that everyone else can come and understand and empathise with. Uh, I I don't know, it just feels so much a part of my identity now working in the performing arts for such a long time. I sort of forget how it sort of has adapted and uh, morphed over the years. Mm -hmm. I also feel like I sound really wanky when I try and explain (laughs) it.
0: Well, I I don't think you sound wanky, but then I'm sure someone else does. And that's okay. You know, that's all part of it. (laughs) Um, But I'm really intrigued as someone who I'm sure there's a lot of us out there who love comedy, but just don't feel like they have the balls to get up there and do stand up Mm -hmm. for the first time. And what what would you say? And what was that like for you? Can you remember the moment the first time you got up there and was like, right, I'm going to just go for it?
1: Yeah, I was so nervous and I wasn't very good because I was like 17 years old. I didn't really know how to write material. I didn't understand how to perform material. I was performing in front of people I didn't know in an environment I hadn't been to before. So everything was incredibly alien and scary. And I think it spent ages becoming very, I was, you know, not very good. I was good for a newcomer, like obviously someone who's about to go into comedy as a career, but. It took me ages of being shit and being scared and frightened. I, I did Eventually, you just get a little bit... You just learn to recognise what the feelings are of, oh, yeah, no, I will feel sick always before I go on stage now. Oh, I will feel like this during the show. OK, now I understand. This is normal. <laughs> this is a normal reaction to putting yourself on the spot in front of a crowd of strangers. Wow.
0: Yeah. And... What do you think was the difference between your mindset and someone who perhaps gets into comedy and just can't deal with that? Like There was clearly something pulling you along, making you view that that feeling of bombing or the nerves. You were determined to get through somewhere. Did you have some sort of intuition? Was it, dare I say, a calling or anything like that?
1: I don't think so. Actually, I was chatting to my partner about this about last night, because I've got so many phobias. Like, I'm I'm insanely afraid of so many things. Like, I'm afraid of the dark. (laughs) I have a phobia of spiders. Like, I hate heights. I don't like enclosed spaces. (laughs) I don't like holes. I don't like staircases. Staircases frighten me. (laughs) I'm afraid of really large bodies of water. Um, I don't like airplanes. I don't like hair. like I've got so many phobias, but actually the things that it's in re and in reaction to that because I've spent my whole childhood and life being so terrified of so many things. My body react. I don't- now I'm getting WhatsApp messages from people <laughs> I don't know. You are so popular, it's crazy. I w- I, w- I wish it. it's probably just my mum telling me to take things up. <laughs> It's, um, I think, when you say calling, it's almost a complete form of punk rebellion. When you're so afraid of everything, what do you decide to try and teach yourself to not be afraid of? And it's the things that everyone else is afraid of. Like, I have very little issue of using nudity in my shows. I have very little issue of being on stage making a fool of myself, doing all the things that, traditionally, people are terrified of, but then are not afraid of the dark. So it's a... (laughs) It's almost, uh, yeah, all the rational things I'm afraid of. and uh, No, all, all the rational things to be afraid of, I am not afraid of. And all the irrational things to be afraid of, that's what terrifies me.
0: Wow. My goodness. Okay, so that, do you think that's part of your performance then? A, yeah. Your performance then, in a sense, is you like to challenge yourself and convent, you like to break conventions perhaps like when you're up on stage and you you are naked it's, it's and i've i've seen you in a show it it was just hilarious but at the same time i'm like my god i've got mad respect for elf there you're just you feel it you just feel so comfortable up there i, I don't know whether that's something you actually feel but it it really does look like you're just happy and you're You've, you are naked, literally naked, and metaphorically, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, and oh, That was naked.
1: funny, because also when you came, it was in a very, very tiny theatre space. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, you either well, you got no choice. It is what it is, and nothing would be worse. Imagine if I came out completely naked and then screamed and panicked and ran away. It'd ruin the whole audience experience. You have to just own it. Also, I'm very much of the thing with when it comes to theatre or comedy, every idea has been done. Every show, every narrative, every play has been adapted. Everything has already been done. And the only thing that makes it unique is you, Mm. is your persona and your entity to it. So I'm very much, when it comes to making theatre and making work, sometimes the idea is the least important thing. It's just your enjoyment doing it. so i've done a lot of you know like when i do a lot of tutoring or shows you know a lot of people come to me with doing ideas about like oh i want to do a show about the passing of a family member or i want to do a show about being single or i want to do a show about this but i feel like it's all been done and you're like well yes it has all been done but the only thing is it's you and you know it's your enjoyment of it and it's your experience and you know That's why we keep on seeing loads of different adaptations of Shakespearean productions over and over again, Mm. because we know it doesn't really matter about what it is. It's about how you react and interpret it. So when it comes to me being naked and using my body and using my silliness and my, I don't know, my lack of shame, I think that's the fun thing for me because it's just me being me with an audience I'm not sure if any of that makes sense you're sort of like does <laughs> no. that make sense does it make sense
0: 100 100 I guess I'm definitely intrigued to talk about being a woman in co- comedy as well because there's there's definitely I mean I remember Christopher Hitchens wrote an article in Vanity Fair uh, you know women aren't funny and I, I wonder how you've whether you do get the stereotypes whether you do get men in your show when I was there it was honestly such a great atmosphere you brought everyone together and you guys were doing jokes um and we were included in that but it it just it was like it was just hilarious so I I never felt like I wasn't welcome but you did acknowledge that I was a man and that you were naked (laughs) and at the same time it was it was just on the, it was just on the money and funny, so I just wondered whether you had anything to say on that because it's just a really intriguing thing.
1: I mean, it, I, I mean, I'm I've always been a woman, and I've done comedy for so long. I mean, it's always they've always been connected; they're just one and the same. And I mean, obviously, you'll get some people who are still patronising to you, but actually, it's becoming less and less uh, common in comedy shows. And also, I think people are more collectively open to critiquing that opinion and that viewpoint. I think it's now it's the exception, it's not the rule. And also, there's something really fun when I'm like naked or being overly sexual on stage and calling out the boys in the room. (laughs) Because it's in a friendly way, and it's also to make sure and ease any tensions or sort of, because again, when you're using nudity or overt sexuality, you want to make sure that everyone knows that it's still within the playful domain. There's no real threat. Like, I make jokes about being a threatening, intimidating woman on stage. Mm. But even if I'm totally naked, I think it's clear to everyone, nothing bad is going to come to you. (laughs) I can do no real harm. Uh, I'm like a spider, I'm more afraid of you than you are of me. Yeah. And especially like when I pick on boys in the audience because in a really dark way, I was saying this to, I was once the only girl in the in the green room and the blokes were like, God, you're so much more sexually aggressive than we are. <laughs> and it was in a joke and I was like, yeah, but look at you all, you are all stronger than me physically and muscular, like you were built differently to me. And this is just me as an individual woman. Like if we had to be horrible about it, if there was an actual fight or a physical dangerous threat, we know who would lose. It Mm. would be me, always. And as the woman in the room who's also like, I'm built like a really shit ladder. um, I'm not, and I'm physically quite weak anyway. There's, uh, it, it's all the like me acting very sexually aggressive. It's all sort of pretense and gusto because when push comes to shove, I am the prey in the room mm-hmm. in a really dark way. Yeah. Um, and I, that's how I sort of phrased it to the boys. And then they were like, oh, that's really intense and quite dark. And I was like, yeah, but it's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, it was explaining to my partner, he was talking about how he doesn't get oh, you know, he knows when he's camping alone that nothing bad can really happen to him because he's just in nature. And I was saying, well, the difference is as a woman who's camped at festivals, I'm not thinking like that because I walk home going, I've got to be really aware of who's following me. Oh, uh, Yeah, Yeah, you know, like the whole, there's a totally different, like my mum always worries about me coming across as being quite sexual because she goes, do you not invite a certain attitude from certain men? And I was like, possibly, but that's also why I'm very, um, uh, very, um, not confrontational, but I talk directly to the audience in the room. Like I make it very clear there's no us and you. We are all together and I can see you and I can recognize you and talk to you eye to eye and face to face and mm. name to name, making it as personal as possible.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's such an important point, Elf, and not just in comedy. and. Because you know, there's there might be people out there. I've heard a couple in, in my in my time um, saying like, oh, you know, why why can't men get you know sexually aggressive uh, on stage or whatever? You know, it's different, and it's like, of course it's different because of that physical kind of difference that you're talking about. And one of the things that I've been speaking to my uh, women mates about, like just that, I because we I didn't really understand at all. Just difference in what it would be like me walking home alone to my friends walking home alone, and my girlmates like that is a fundamental difference, and I think it's something that we really do need to try and understand that that level of threat and just to be bluntly honest, the level of harassment that women do get on a you know a, on a varying levels throughout consistently throughout. Yeah throughout life it's it's crazy to me
1: It's works um so cool news is i'm filming swan in at christmas time at the omnibus oh nice and we're we're filming it for next up and in that show um i walk around in this parrot costume with my legs out my knickers out and at the end it ends with like full bottomed nudity which my parents absolutely hate (laughs) and they're really annoyed that i'm doing it for the show people say to me well why is because a lot of men use full frontal nudity in their shows and they go well why is mine not as crass or why is my nudity more shocking Mm. and it is shocking because it's still a political statement for a woman to be naked but also to be using that in a silly light way to be fully like to get my genitals out yeah but not with the intention of being sexual and not for the f- gratification of the male gaze right. that's still really political whilst men have never women don't go to strip clubs to watch men just get their penises out because we've all accepted that men's genitals are ridiculous <laughs> but we don't have that same honest reaction to female genitals they're still so taboo and highly eroticized mm. so when a woman gets them out and does it in a comedic way we still we find that very shocking
0: yeah, that's, uh, that's really, so I guess because of this physical difference and um, the gaze from the male side, but even if it's in theatre, if it's on the street, we have to acknowledge that there is fundamentally that sense of danger. It's not that I'm going to beat you up, but it's that I could beat you up and that is kind of has to be acknowledged because it does affect the way we perceive the bodies or or the way we objectify uh, the other kind of gender
1: yeah i mean i mean i'm sure a lot of other female performers who use nudity in their shows or sexual identity or you know would disagree with me in my interpretation of why i use my nudity in my shows or why i play with sexuality and my gender that way yeah But for me, it's a very big part, which I always make a joke of, is the fact that I am. I'm, you know, and I talk about this on stage how the Times call me an ordeal. I'm deemed as being frightening and intimidating and intense. All these words we often use, or especially intense or hysterical words we use to describe, you know, strong, influential women. Right. Uh, But nobody would ever describe me as um, dominating or uh, overbearing. Like there are certain words you just wouldn't use for me because when you see me on stage, you just know it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. Uh, um, Yeah. So for me, that thing of, you know, the threat is all, oh God, I can't remember how you said it now. (laughs) But basically what I'm trying to say, Will, is I agree with you. But uh, my interpretation of that is definitely not representative of all other women in the theatre who use nudity and sexuality in their shows of course just uh, making yeah. sure i'm not <laughs> speaking on behalf of all women in in my world
0: No, yeah, you're speaking on behalf of elf and that's brilliant i want to hear your opinions this is lovely yeah i'd love to talk a little bit about your your writing process then because it's mm-hmm. seeing some of the like the workshops you've done i feel like you're just you just get into it and you're like, right, let's roll with this, let's do it like that. I don't know, what, what is it like for you when you're thinking of the idea for the show? Have you got some concrete process or is it very much different from show to show?
1: It's very different from show to show. I think the idea is also just try out, just see how it works. Sometimes, even if it's just a, an R&D, like a day's rehearsal where you're trying something out with friends, that might be as far as you need to go with a specific idea, but you need to throw it out there anyway and see what sticks everything is worthwhile and i've seen so many ideas come through through my courses and my workshops so many people bringing so many different and wonderful and bizarre interpretations and adaptions of you know plays or stories again and again and again and i just say just try them just throw them out there just see You've got nothing to lose, but the key is also to not hold on to an idea is if you've got it, tell people about it and do it. I think that's the thing. Find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, the amount of times I've met people who've gone who've had an idea for a long, long time, and then they get upset that it's been then done years later. like well you should have just you should have just tried it or put it on just for five minutes at a gig or a scratch night. Just just throw it out there because you have nothing to lose Mm. if you try it, but you have everything to lose if you don't do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. what do you think is holding people back? Because I do see that. A lot of my friends are so reluctant. I've got a mate recently who made a, a music video over lockdown. He put it on YouTube, but he didn't share the link. And he said to us, like, guys, can you just watch it and let me know if I should release it. We watched like 10 seconds of it. And already I was like, mate, get this out there, bro. You've made it, you've literally made it. Um, but I just wondered whether you've seen that as well. What do you think like it is the maybe the gaze of others that gets in the way you're so worried about failing, but how can you get better if you're not willing to get feedback or at least release stuff? I, I think it's impossible, is it not? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, this, uh, this desire also of everyone being like little perfectionists, being very, very precious with their ideas and wanting to wait until it's perfectly, perfectly, perfect, perfect, and then releasing it and then right. expecting lots of praise. Or you see it a lot in comedy with the pressure on young, new acts to do their debut hour. And rather than just getting out there and doing it, they're told to sort of wait and wait and wait until they have the perfect 50 minutes with the perfect narrative arc. Yeah. And I just think, Well, no, because also, and you see this in Edinburgh every year, people always think that they've got the most unique idea, and then you realise they're part of a whole movement that year who are doing shows about cancer, or they're doing shows about feminism, or they're doing shows about dogs, or whatever it is. (laughs) Like Everyone thinks that they have got the most unique idea at the time, and what they don't realise is they're part of a huge collective hive mind. Um yeah. and everything has been done before, and you've just got to get on with it and put it out there. Um, I'm very like, I've got loads of so many different ideas and things that I've been trying to do for the last year. Like I made me juicer in 2018, and I've been desperate to try and get the rights for that to perform it again. Yeah, because I don't own them, which is the unfortunate thing, even though I made the show. Um, I've been desperate to do that, and then I made Gorgon, I wrote that. And it was great to just get that idea out because I'd been trying to get it done by other people and it wasn't happening. So I thought, no, well, fuck it. I'll just do it on my own. I'll write the play. I've yeah. been writing my own radio stuff. But then I've had this idea for like last half, like since the end of 2019 is I wanted to just direct a version of Titus Andronicus. <laughs> um, and I just thought recently, like I've been holding on to this and been trying to, pussyfoot around with it but I thought fuck it I'm just gonna see if I can get a rehearsal space for a day get some mates in and just see what happens yeah because it could be an absolute clusterfuck it could be a terrible idea but at least we've tried it and also it's been done before it'll be done again (laughs) do it for me
0: yeah that's so important let's see what happens and that's such a great mindset to have because you truthfully you just don't know what's gonna happen you know you'll you'll get out there and it might not work but you'll know like it's it's you can't the truth will be there for you to see as long as you're willing to accept whatever it may be and roll with the punches that's the different like Mike Bartlett came into this playwriting group I was in and he's just such a great bloke and he he basically Mm -hmm. we were asking him you know like Mike how do we become working writers and he just very simply just said just keep writing just keep writing like just keep writing plays and you'll get yeah. better and that was essentially it and it just made it just blew my mind a little bit because it was so simple we are constantly searching for this oh if I hold back and wait for my um, this new short film I've written it might go viral and then Netflix will see it and it's like that might happen for sure but we've got to just keep keep working and creating because it is a craft and if you're not doing that then in my opinion you're not kind of developing or growing because every sort of top director or someone that you've got your eyes on who's there doing it they've come from somewhere they you you know their early work wasn't the same as the work they're doing now and they got there through failing through growing doing all these things and so one of the things I really love about you when you come into the workshop and you're talking to people it's so galvanizing because you're essentially just saying just do it (laughs) <laughs> to oh wait actually I don't want to copy Nike there but that you were using other words but you know you were essentially saying to people just go out there and make your own work and I think it's such an important
1: message yeah try and also the chances are your work won't get picked up your work won't get nominated for the award you dreamed it would be your work won't get the review you wished it did. They, these things will not happen because you are not entitled to them and you might, you might not deserve them even though you think you do. It's just part of the industry we're in. So you have to ask yourself, who are you doing it for? Most of my shows I don't make so I can have success or fame. Like You have to also be business savvy at times and try and do things for, you know, I take other work so I can have financial stability. But my creative endeavours, they are for me to give me, you know, to give me joy and pleasure. Mm. Because my creative life, you just don't know how long or short it will be. And the key is also to don't not look at what people are doing. Don't look left or right. Just focus on what you want to do and what makes you happy. See everyone's shows, be enthusiastic, support your friends, go and see stuff. But don't try and look at what's going on and go, well, they're doing this, so I should probably not do that. I should focus on doing this angle. I think at the moment, the real interesting subject should be about this. I'm going to do a show about this, because nobody's talking about it. Don't do that, because you will just drive yourself insane. And it's a very different, I know some artists do think like that, and they've made a great success of it, because they've looked ahead of the curve. Yeah. That's not what makes me happy.
0: That's such a great point about like supporting mates as well because when you then go to do a show, you might be wondering why none of your mates have really showed up, and that's probably because you didn't go and see their shows. Um, and so supporting one another is great because it is it's you're supporting your mate, and you you'll go see it, and you might get inspired, you might see something that oh like triggers something in you. But also, it means that you're investing as well into basically creating a supporting network so that when you do put on a show, you've, you've got people that can come and, and see your show. And I think yeah. that, that's important because it is, there's something different about theater. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but obviously we've got Netflix now. So that is, there is a, you know, we're in competition there in a sense, because particularly after COVID, people mm-hmm. are so much more inclined now to just stick it, stick on a TV show, you know, whack Ozark on, crack open a couple of beers and just relax. Whereas mm. g- getting on a tube, is horrible now Ooh. anyway with the whole covid stuff but mm-hmm. actually going out costs money it's more draining um, and once you're in the seat we have to sort of develop a way of making it and really like keeping the liveness of theater as its usp i guess you could say
1: but yeah.
0: what do you think in terms of the future of theater like where do you see this going how can we how can we contend with something like netflix
1: well Well, we just sort of I, th- I think we don't need to worry about contending with Netflix because nobody wants to spend every day watching Netflix. People do want to leave their house. Right. I don't think we have any issue with theatre or live art dying because of COVID. Like obviously, from a financial and economic viewpoint, lots of theatres are at risk of collapsing and dying. But live theatre isn't under threat in terms of its actual art form. Mm. People want to see live theatre. People want to leave the house and go and see comedy. People want to go to art galleries it's just as long as they still exist after covid i don't have any worries about competing with net because also we know what i i know what i want when i go to netflix or amazon or whatever it is i want to watch i want to watch something big flashy that gives me some instant gratification i'm looking for some sort of sugary overload yeah And I go for theatre for something different, for live, interactive, for being a part of a collective and a community. That's so true. I think the joy of maybe the thing I think is, which I always say, is don't be precious with your ideas. Collaborate and share. And also, if you're good at something, teach other people how to do it. If you're really good at something, help other people work it out. So, if you're very good at, so with all my female friends, especially other female performers who are, in especially clowns who've got specific skill sets, we all shop, swap, and share info and advice. Don't be precious, swap your ideas and keep helping, because I think that's the strength of live theatre anyway, because we, whilst I think the TV world, things are a little bit more secretive because you don't want your plot lines to be similar to another TV shows, or everything seems, from my knowledge of what I've heard, I can imagine it being a little bit more segregated in terms of swapping knowledge and experiences. While in theatre, I think our strength is that it can be so collaborative and we get so much inspiration from each other. Mm. Um, That's very much what I think is the great great joy of live comedy theatre scene.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, nothing beats it. As an audience member howling with laughter or just being taken away, there is that it's just it's a different type of engagement that mm-hmm. you just don't get from watching Netflix and I completely agree I think it's just a matter of time hope as soon as we can figure out a way I'm very hopeful because I know that that demand for liveness isn't going anywhere it, it, it's just not and I was also having a chat and i Wonder if it's the same in your uh, performance, but chatting to an actor and you're right, it's so great to just chat to other creatives at this time and just, you know, realize we're all in this together. And we were talking about, you know, there's there's no feeling like when you're on stage and you've got the audience in the palm of your hand. And this is when I realized I, I might be a control freak because When you've got the audience in the palm of your hand and you can hear a pin drop, it's just, it's electric and Mm -hmm. nothing beats that. And I think even if you're working in film the whole time as an actor, I'm I'm not one of those people. But you wanna come back to the stage if you've ever felt that because you Mm -hmm. just don't get that um, through the screen medium. The screen medium is, for me, is very much cultivated in the edit and, it's, you know, it's the director has a lot of impact on that. And as an actor, you are waiting around a lot. So, so for me, the main pull into theatre is that... Oh, we're just getting a bit of air, by the way, now.
1: It's... I thought that may be me breathing. Oh.
0: <laughs> sorry, it sounded like Darth Vader, Elf. I was getting a bit freaked out there. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. sorry. I thought you were doing a Darth Vader impression. I was like, I'm just going to roll with it. You know, Elf is really <laughs> ruthless with her comedy. Um, but yeah, I basically... <laughs> will um yeah i basically that's that's basically what i was saying i just that's not going anywhere and yeah I, you're right we should be hopeful and just stick to what can we do with this time though would you say and i know some people are feeding themselves with netflix like inspiration books actual food i'm sure and other people are you know getting creative but I guess there's no right way. We just need to be making sure that we're feeling well and checking in with ourselves, you know, and riding the wave, I guess you could say.
1: Totally. I, I, I've i been through loads of writer's block at points in lockdown and then been incredibly inspired. And then I've forced myself to create, and then I felt horrible with the stuff that I've made. Creating is a full-time 24-hour process. Even when it looks like you're not doing anything, you're always doing something, I think when you're in the creative world because you're thinking constantly yeah. and imagination is tiring. Hmm. I think it's why a lot of people are afraid of being of imagining and being silly because it's a tiring process. Mm. I've my advice to anyone is keep jotting down ideas. Think about them, um, and things take time to percolate. And also, you might have thought of an idea in two thousand and seventeen, and you might be waiting for the right time. Like you can try out, you can do it five minutes or just write a page down. But it might not be the right time then. Like I've had this horror show recreation of Stephen King books in my mind for years and years and years. I've always told people, this is my plan, I want to do this show. But it's been ages for me to make it happen, knowing that obviously people could step in and do that show before me for sure. And lots of people have done Stephen King comedy shows in that time. Mm. But I was waiting for the right time for me to be ready to approach it From my perspective, and it's only now I'm going, okay, now I'm ready for that. My advice, though, to anyone would be two things one, try and write just for like five minutes a day, just for five minutes. That's all I suggest either a diary entry or just bullet points, five minutes a day, and maybe for five, ten minutes, record yourself dancing in front of a camera. (sighs) or moving in some way, just to study how you move. I think those are two ways that you can help yourself be creative mm. without realising it. I love I, I mean, I bought the artist's way and I planned to read it. And I actually, at the beginning, went, no, this probably, I'm not ready for this just yet, because I found it already too. I don't like being told what to do. Yeah. And being told a 12-week programme, I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't like this.
0: Yeah. I, it's kind of like if you're a creative, you probably have an overactive uh, overactive imagination. And so it's having the notes app on your phone or like you said, a, a, something to jot down because stuff does come to you throughout the day, usually when you're off guard, you know, in the shower or on the tube. And I think that's so useful, like just jot it all down. And mm-hmm. when that moment comes where you find yourself with that, motivation um, and it might be rare for you it's kind of rare for me I every so often I'll just be writing and then all of a sudden I'll be like whoa oh my god you know I'm getting creative and it's Mm -hmm. in those moments that I can you know look back on all these random ideas that I've written down and that's just so useful then Um, Mm -hmm. I would say as well you mentioned journaling is this so when you're writing in the journal is it
1: it could be anything, right?
0: I guess. Is that what you
1: mean? You're yeah, just... anything you want. I've got lots of different journals, some for like bullet points, like from things I've learnt. Like I watch a lot of master classes, which are quite useful. Um, I have then got my emotional journal, mm. and then I've got a comedy journal. I just write. Bullet points everywhere. I've also got notes on my, like on my computer. I write down notes of inspiration and things to send to students. A lot of the time, if I've seen a show, I think they'll be interested in, or an article. Like I constantly sort of keep documentation down to send to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've just got to imagine. I I think in your head you've got to always imagine that you're sort of like a PhD student, <laughs> yeah. just constantly researching for that thesis. Mm. Yeah. And anything, if you see like a particular phrase, like I still remember this when I was a kid learning from a teacher who said their favourite sentence that you ever read in a, short, in a short story from a child was, the clouds marmaladed across the sky. <laughs> and that always sticks in my mind, because I think if you hear a particular phrase that's lovely, even if, you, you know, if you've invented it yourself, or if you've heard your grandmother or your mum say something, write it down. They're all, or a word that you really like the sound of. Like, I love the word dissipated. (laughs) Just write these words down.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. So I've recently actually just started journaling, um, like, every Mm -hmm. day and stuff. And it is, you're right, it is just such a great way to, you get quite cathartic. It's like a cathartic process, but it's just Mm -hmm. so useful in terms of, like, expressing and it feels productive, yeah. you know by the end of it, I actually feel like I've done something, and all I have is just essentially written down some thoughts, maybe something I'm grateful for, worked something out in my head and I wondered, is that so your emotional journal, your comedy journal is it are they are any of them kind of linked to everyday life, or is it more- oh yeah, my
1: so I've kept a journal since I was eight, oh, well. but I think it is valid because you have to your life is you can read those things back and there will be so much information and advice there and and for shows like archive material is fascinating anyway so you know it might not seem worthwhile now but in 10 years time this could be exactly what you need for a show yeah so just keep and also you need to make sure you're in good check mentally in order to work in this industry because you can't use your shows for therapy yeah so I think writing down is really, really crucial for anyone who wants to survive in this industry. Like, I know I'm in a bad place if I don't write for a few days because I think, well, what am I trying to put off?
0: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I read um, Brian Cranston's memoir, and in it he says something that really, like, stuck out. If If I'm going to go insane at work, then I have to have a sane foundation to come back to. So... Mm-hmm that what you said there is so important because I sometimes I feel well when I first started when I was 18 and I was you know obsessed with Daniel Day-Lewis and wanting to be a a method actor and just throw everything I had into roles and I was all about kind of you know going insane and that being a part of the work but what I realized is that I was insane (laughs) so I had to figure out a way of being a I guess you could say grounded person obviously still working through that but that has helped me so much because all of a sudden the performance became about communicating meaning rather than look at me look at me go insane and mm-hmm. that's quite selfish in a way I guess you could say um, yeah. uh, I guess I'm calling out Daniel Day Lewis um, and maybe he won't listen to this I don't know but you know it's it, yeah you're right it is about it is about the audience in a sense what you're what you're sort of perform, you're performing for them they are there and if you make it therapeutic I guess you kind of cut cut them out of the process and it becomes mm-hmm. about you and I think they can they can smell that in the room and it's kind of like Ooh, should we be here sort of thing um I've certainly felt that but yeah I also wanted to touch upon oh, I, have to, I have to ask like what's what's bombing like? I don't know if you could describe that feeling, but this is the feeling I think so many people are so afraid of feeling, and I wondered if you could just, yeah, I don't know, maybe talk about that.
1: Um, So you feel awful, you feel (laughs) deathly (laughs) inside, you feel really ashamed, you don't want to give eye contact with anyone afterwards, you feel like everybody hates you, or everybody feels embarrassed on your behalf, you feel ashamed, you feel like everything's You feel like everyone dislikes you. You feel like everyone's avoiding your eye contact. You feel an idiot. You then, after that comes in and you want to leave the room as quickly as possible, and I mean, I'm using I'm not saying, oh, this was like a bad gig, but I mean, like, when you really feel like you've bombed, you also then start to feel angry towards the audience because they've made you question your pride and your abilities. Mm-hmm. And then you'll feel cross and pissed off at anyone who then tries to give you any feedback or constructive criticism. You'll then feel very jittery. Um, you'll then start getting angry with yourself because you know it's unfair to always get cross at the audience and to get cross at everyone else because your rational mind knows well they're just trying to help and then basically you'll suddenly if it's really bad you'll think about it for the rest of the evening mm. and then or you can then do what I do where you then tell everyone about how much you've bombed and then you try and make you try and own it which I think is often the wisest way to do it own it tell people yeah I sucked because then people know that you know and there's that sense of self reflection um, but it's a horrible feeling, but that's all it is and 24 hours later that feeling does eventually disappear. Mm. Um I mean it's a horrible feeling. I'm I get very very sensitive. Mm. I'm very sensitive and I really hate if I've ups, if I feel like I've upset anyone or if I've accidentally offended like it really ruins me. Like I will I I will turn into a very very sensitive creature yeah. um I'm not the mo- I'm very resilient at being not found funny but if I cause anyone to feel upset or sad or underappreciated or ignored that's the thing that really gets to me yeah. um so if I've had anyone say oh I didn't like this joke in your show or for this reason like I'll always take time to think about it and that Will be the thing that upsets me more than if say nobody laughs at my material if i'm performing to my true abilities and i'm being myself yeah but it happens and it and also no one in the performing world has ever not felt like that everyone has felt like that
0: oh totally i did this short film and uh it ended up getting quite a lot of views over lockdown i think the algorithm picked it up and it was about post-apocalyptic worlds. everyone was like oh my god it's so factual you know and we were i was reading the comments obviously there was about a few thousand i thought well there's got to be some ego sort of boost here i let me scroll down and and see and uh sure enough there was a few nice comments but then of course (laughs) i reached the point where someone said this guy's looks like a drug addict with those intense eyes and it wasn't even that bad but you you do it's 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 For some reason, I, I have learnt now, I think, to not read reviews. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And to look inward. It's the whole inward-outward thing, right? I've spent 26 years outsourcing my own well-being onto the validation of others for whatever reason. And I'm just starting to become aware that although people have some really wise things to say and I can learn... And use to get better as an artist. Ultimately, I know whether I've done a good job, whether I've done something wrong, and it's all kind of within. So I'm starting to, you know, walk off the stage and look within and th- think to myself, was that, you know, am I proud of that performance? Was I, you know, doing the best that I could do? And if the answer is yes, then I can go home without having to stick around at the bar and you know, lap up some criticism, uh, some, some, not criticism, but some, yeah, you know, some glorious feedback, Um, which I have done before. So I wonder how Twitter and Facebook and this whole like thing has yeah. impacted and how much creativity it may have stunted, actually.
1: I agree, I, I in re- reaction to that, I'm reading the comments. I think there's a simple rule, like reviews are, Reviews are reviews and they're part of the business. And so I think make use of the good ones and take f- revelry and in the bad ones. Because we know the reviews, especially for the newspapers, are part of the business. If someone emails me privately in a mm. dignified manner with regards to my shows or material, which has happened in the past, I respect, I'll read and I will respond because that is the adult form of communication. Mm. I think anything that is done online via Twitter or comments in the desire to shame or embarrass or attack I think can immediately be disregarded and I think it's a really unhealthy part of the industry that has come and arisen from social media. Um, So for me it's like if somebody sags me off on Twitter or YouTube I will pay no mind but if somebody's taken the time to email me via my website saying I found this problematic yes they might still be talking out of their ass, but I will think well you've come to me for you've done this in a slightly more adult manner so even if I still have to tell you I think you were totally wrong mm. I will still dignify it with a response it's just about how we communicate I think in theatre that is the key and in the creative industries And that's the thing that I find really dangerous and sad at the moment. yeah it's it actually makes me it's the only thing regarding this industry that i think i'm not always resilient enough because i just don't understand why people have to be so cruel Mm. (laughs) i just think don't be cruel like just be kind like it's why i try and do as many like free workshops or online things as possible especially i did loads during lockdown because you think you've got nothing to lose we've just got everything to gain by sharing our work and our time with each other and trying to give as many legs up to each other and confidence boosts as we can.
0: Yeah, we're all, you know, at the end of the day, we're all learning, you know, we're all trying to develop work, we're all Mm -hmm. a work in progress. So if someone does write a play and they've, and it's pretty obvious that they've kind of used something that in the plot line that they perhaps shouldn't have used because it was I don't know, offensive to a lot of people, then you're right. It's in the communication that does need to be communicated, particularly if you're one of those people that sat there and it was an uncomfortable experience, but you're right. It's, it's in, I think it is in an email. It is in a kind of, maybe let's go for a coffee and, but that writer or that person is a person and they are working things out and they, like it's about it's a learning process they need to learn that what they did maybe shouldn't have worked or maybe it did work but you can't you're right i think using twitter as a way of uh giving feedback to anyone i think isn't the way to do it um because it is public and we do need to just have that in our consideration just be a bit kinder cuz you're not going to you're not going to write your best work perhaps when you're you know just starting out and it's your first couple of plays you're you're learning so i think that needs to be a consideration as well and i think it links to what you were saying earlier about how we're so we want everything to be kind of perfect but nothing can be perfect and i think that's what i love about theater like you can make a film look like as close to perfect I think you can get you know there are certain moments in Ozark which I watched over lockdown which I was like oh my goodness me like that is a moment of perfection but Mm -hmm. with theatre I think James Fritz said this I read it in an article he was like I just love embracing the imperfection of theatre and the rawness of it like you can do a show and I'm sure you've done shows like this where you're literally in a pub and you've got no set and you're wearing like a chicken outfit or whatever it is and you're just doing a show and you are engaging the audience. And I think that's what I love. I love the kind of scratch, the rawness. Sometimes I see shows that go from a smaller space with less money, and then they go to the larger space with more money and something's yeah. missing. Something's missing, Like the rawness has kind of gone. They've made decisions because they've got the money just to add more kind of flashiness to the production. Yeah. And, and so yeah i'm a firm sort of i love shows like like edinburgh actually just to finish off i wonder if you had any kind of sort of advice or experience for anyone doing edinburgh because i know it's a real marathon and i know you've done it plenty of times and i'd love to just maybe hear about that and we could wrap up after if you fancy
1: it yeah i will also i'll have to probably go in a minute because i've had like 10 missed calls from my dad oh shit So I have a feeling he might need me. But regarding (laughs) Edinburgh, I can send you an article I wrote, actually, regarding it. But um, remember, you're not a robot, and you're going to Edinburgh to get better. It's part of the process. Um, Every day, you will have a good show. You'll have a bad show. You're not a machine. You can't always deliver 110% to the best of your capabilities, because other things in your life are going on. So except it's a long-distance run, and it's not a short sprint. Mm. And it's also not a run that you are going to come first in. And also, if it's a bad show, if that means that you're going to quit this industry, then accept that this isn't the industry for you. If you're going to be want to be part of this for the long haul, understand that you were going to have successes and failures. Mm. Oh, man. That's it.
0: Whoa, love that yeah I'll definitely link everyone to the article if you want to send that over to me but Elf thank you so much it's been hella fun um, and I can't believe I just said that I might actually have to edit that one hella fun's
1: great keep it in
0: <laughs> nice I've actually never said that before but uh, you've got to shoot off and it's always a pleasure talking to you so
1: thank you so much for coming on cool see you soon love you lots Big bye. Love. Bye. bye
0: there we go that was episode 3 of Into the Void I really hope you enjoyed it thank you so much for listening. And if you made it this far, I've got plenty of interesting guests to come. So do remember to subscribe. And thank you so much for anyone who sent in an email. Your feedback is so useful. It's lovely to hear and it will help me improve the podcast for future episodes. So thank you very much. Bye guys.